Welcome to the Average Saint podcast, where we help the average saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is season two, episode four, and today is December the 22nd. We're almost at Christmas. In the very first book of the Bible, we read that God gave to humanity dominion over his creation to utilize every part, bringing order and fruitfulness, flourishing to the world, all for his glory and for our joy. From Adam's first simple tools to the complex microchips that we find in very many products today, technology has helped us shape the world, and it has shaped us. Now, we may think that modern tech is something insulated from our spiritual lives, but nothing could be further from the truth. Like any other man-made tool, tech can be used wisely or foolishly, righteously or unrighteously. It can be life-giving or life-taking. Today, digital tech is ubiquitous and rapidly evolving. From our phones, vehicles, appliances, and I've recently heard even our barbecues now, (laughs) everything is digitized. It seems like it is all woven together with our digital world. The benefits are manifold, but so are the pitfalls. Take, for example, the recent actions of our own government. It is not a secret that the Canadian government used our cell phone data to track our movements, the movements of at least 33 million of its citizens over the course of the COVID years. That may not disturb you, but it may also terrify you. This leads us to our topic today, the saint and the smartphone. Now, I'm old enough to remember the phone attached to the wall in our house with a rotating dial. But now our phones are microcomputers that have become so integrated into our lives, we barely give it a second thought. We have it on our person, beside our bed, and if we're honest, even some of us have it in the bathroom. With it, we have access to more data than any other generation in history and a communication tool of unprecedented reach. So, how can the average saint wisely navigate the use of this tool in our digital age? Joining me today to discuss this issue is a digital wizard and solid saint in the faith, Stephen Ramsey. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to have you here, brother. Steve's a web and database developer who has worked on a variety of IT functions for various companies as a self-contractor. He's happily married for nine years to Michelle with three kids and one on the way in April. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. So do you guys know, boy, girl, are you waiting for a surprise? Well, speaking of technology, we had quite the experience with that. All of our other pregnancies, we had ultrasounds, which are five minutes or less, and they're just like, yeah, it's a boy, it's a girl, it's whatever. This time, well, it was 30 minutes, and the ultrasound tech was really taking her time and <laughs> starting to sweat, like, oh boy, are they seeing something wrong here? What's going on? Oh, no. And then uh, she leaves the room and comes back and is like, oh, I forgot to like check the heart rate. Let me uh, do another ultrasound check. I'm like, what were you doing for 30 <laughs> minutes? <laughs> like, That's really weird. And then uh, we ask her at the end, so do you know the gender? And she's like, well, I can't find any boy parts, so <laughs> it's probably a girl. But uh, we got the results from the midwife, and everything's fine, as far as we know. It's just Good. probably a new ultrasound tech, or <laughs> yeah, she's just taking her sweet time. So how many? So boy, how many boys and girls now you have? What's the breakdown? Well, we got Joanna, our first girl, and then Claire came along, our second girl, and Isaiah was born. He's two now, and 
And then we'll have a Lord willing third girl coming up. That's great. Well, may the Lord bless you, man. That's exciting. So give us a little bit of background on your work in the field of digital technology. How long have you been doing this? Why did you get into it? Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, So I feel like in my life, sometimes I've tried to get away from technology, but then for whatever reason, the Lord just brings me back to the technology. (laughs) So uh, in high school, I helped out with some IT work as kind of like a volunteer thing to help out the teacher here and there. And then after that, I went to university and my first stint at university was at SFU in Burnaby. Okay. And I was trying to figure out like, what do I really want to do? And I was pretty terrible because I didn't have a direction where I was going and Mm. I wouldn't counsel people to go that way. But so I ended up taking like, I'll take an English course, I'll take a psychology course, I'll take a comp sci course. (laughs) And I did terrible. After the first term, I was on academic probation already (laughs) because I was spreading myself so thin. And I was like, okay, maybe I should like actually like try to study something I really like right now to get things back in order. And SFU had launched a new Surrey campus, and it was all about technology. So I enrolled in that, and my GPA shot right back up. Nice. Even taking calculus. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, I graduated from that after about four to five years. Okay. And then after that, I was kind of discerning where I'm going with all this stuff. And I became a Christian in the middle of university. So oh, man. That changed things a lot, too. But I eventually decided to uh, go to Regent College and I was studying some theology and I took a break because that could be a little bit discouraging after a while, especially with some of the liberal theology and some of the students there. And I started working for a website company in downtown Vancouver in a high-rise building. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And it was a great experience. I was working basically on websites for mining companies Ah. and trying to update the stock ticker to make sure their website shows what their value is live and all that stuff. Gotcha. But then uh, after a little while, I got an opportunity to work for a really big church in Burnaby. Okay. And uh, they were looking for a helper in the missions department Mm. in the church. So I was like, this is a really cool opportunity. So (laughs) I took it and Mm. uh, I became the associate ministry helper for the missions pastor there. Ah. And they, you know, had probably over 20 long-term missionaries that they were trying to support and sending out like five to 10 teams a year. So there was a lot to do, but wow! as I was working there, the technology thing just came back again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would have a problem on my computer and I would fix it before the IT people got to it. And you were uh, sought out for your skill. And then they started thinking like, let's make a database Mm. to like field our mission applicants for short-term mission teams to make sure we send out our best, not just anyone. Let's figure out who are the type A leaders. Let's figure out who are the analyzers or the more supportive type people or encouragers. Uh, And then we'll make our missions short-term teams really good because we'll mix those together. So we don't send out a bunch of five type A personalities who are going to clash with each other the entire two weeks throughout on the mission. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So I I really started working on databases more because of that, because it's like we have like literally hundreds of people we could be sending out and we need to be able to know who's the best, not just trying to get the numbers up for no reason and all that stuff. That's fantastic. um, Eventually, though, they moved me basically from missions to being the IT specialist and database person (laughs) at the church. But it's like, like I'm back again. (laughs) It sounds like you're using that skill to serve the goal of missions anyway, or the the work of missions. So that's excellent. And so how long did you work in that role? Uh, Yeah, so that would have been 2012 to 2016. And then uh, from there, I became a contractor in about 2016 until now. So still... uh, expanding and helping out nonprofits, some churches and just some businesses in general. So that's great. Yeah. And so you like what you do. You're obviously good at it, sought out for it. 
And so as a believer now, like just generally, how do you, how do you view technology now? Like, especially your brand. I mean, you're not working with metal tools. You're working with microchips (laughs) and computers and databases. So what are some thoughts just generally? Yeah. I mean, technology is something we have to kind of think carefully about. It's certainly a blessing to have. And I was even just reviewing some scriptural thoughts like, where does technology first come in into the Bible? Yeah. And I could be wrong, but the first things that I can recall in Genesis were Mm -hmm. God giving Adam and Eve clothes after the fall, which Mm -hmm. is in a form of technology, like Mm -hmm. putting together clothes. And the angels guarding the Garden of Eden had swords. So before any human metalworking had happened, God already had put swords in their hands. So it's definitely God's idea for there to be tools and technology. Right. He didn't have naked angels guarding the Garden of Eden just with their fists. Yes. And, uh, And from there... I think we see, of course, humanity was never like this caveman species, like the evolutionists will argue. That's right. Right from the beginning of Genesis, even chapter four, they're building cities, they're doing metalwork. They got like music very soon after. Yes. So I think technology, of course, is a tool. And if we use it well, it's a very good thing that can help us to do what God's called us to do well. Yes. And then I think it becomes bad when technology becomes an end in and of itself. Right. Or it becomes like, wow, this is so cool. I want to have more technology for the sake of having more technology. Right. And, right. Or, you know, glorifying ourselves, like right. the Tower of Babel, right? They have right. some awesome technology. They're laying out the bricks. Yeah. But their purpose is to glorify themselves. Right. And that's where it all goes wrong. That's right. So it's not like God is like, well, technology is bad, so I'm going to separate you guys. But it's more, you're using this for horrible reasons. And yeah, it's really a technology heart issue that happens in Babel because God separates them because of what they're doing with their technology. Right. And he, I think it even says in the text, like everything they're seeking to do now, they're going to be able to do. So I'm going to stop it. That's right. And it's really uh, the language confusion then stops the technology and that's right. And I have to think like at the beginning of Genesis, they must have had technology expansion so fast because if you think about it like Adam and Eve, right. they lived 900 plus years at that point. Right. And the generational knowledge transfer no would kidding. be immense. Yeah, absolutely. Like today, I mean, people die sometimes really young. Right. You don't get as much knowledge transfer as 900 right. years. Here you go. I'm giving yeah. you my knowledge. <laughs> yeah, exponentially. Yeah, you think they had a new thing or two of uh, about woodworking and stoneworking and metalworking. Oh, yeah. Hundreds <laughs> of years to work it out. <laughs> they must have had some great skills. No kidding. So those are those are some really helpful thoughts. So technology essentially is inherent to our human condition uh, because God has created us as uh, stewards over His creation right. and expects us to develop it. But you raise a great point that that technology there there is a moral aspect to it. it it's not the problem that the Tower of Babel was built. It was the purpose for which it was built for. So I, I think that really helps us start our conversation. So. This is such a massive topic, and we were talking about this yeah. before we started recording, but we kind of want to go back to this tool that we've had in our pockets since, when, 2002? No. How, how, how old is the smartphone? Well, the iPhone came out in 2007. 2007. Um, so that's when a lot of people will market. But of course, even before the iPhone, Nokia was the dominant uh, company. Oh, and I had they one. had a lot of phones that were really getting close to smartphone. And right. of course, we had the BlackBerry even before that, right? And that was pretty big. And I actually worked at Nokia. In you did 2007 <laughs> when the iPhone came out, ah. and uh, it was pretty dorky. But I was a, a games tester on cell phones. Ah. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> it was over the summer, and um, that's cool. It was funny because you know, like we're working away. I l- like literally this 
really ridiculous fishing game where you're like <laughs> having to like throw your phone forward to try to cast a line and it detects your motion and uh, anyways it was <laughs> funny Nokia. yeah yeah i never heard of that one. well it never really came out right because the oh. iphone destroyed it all right uh. and it was funny because we're working away 2007 and then the iphone comes out and it's like the death knell of all of our work <laughs> is upon us <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't think everyone realized it at that point, but I think within a few years that place was gone because that, that was in Richmond, and mm. they've closed, shuttered up. I mean, they, Nokia still operates, I think, a router business and stuff like that, right? But it's very small now. And uh, Apple just came in and bowled them over. Yeah, basically. So 2007, the iPhone comes out, and then BlackBerry and all the rest of this stuff. So well, BlackBerry's even before that, yeah. BlackBerry, yeah, that was that was 2002, wasn't it? don't know the exact year. Uh, Might well, be. People can look it up. So we've been dealing with uh, smartphones then for the better part of 20 years. Is yeah, that safe right. to say? So the smartphone as a as a tool then, then that's what we want to be talking about today. So let's start with it as a tool. I mean, we've got some benefits here. What would you say are the benefits as this digital wonder that we have in our pockets that has been through various iterations and expansions? Yeah, well, uh, I have a, a quote here from Tony Ranke. He wrote a book on um, how smartphones change us. And uh, uh-huh. I thought this was a good one about the benefits. He says here, the GPS app on my phone, which guided me to a new coffee shop today, possesses 30,000 times the processing speed of the 70-pound onboard navigational computer that guided Apollo 11 to the surface of the moon. <laughs> Imagine that, 30,000 times more power in your pocket than so, all the astronauts going to the moon. So wait a minute, hold on a second. Like, how, Why haven't we been back to the moon? <laughs> I mean, we're, all Maybe we that's need for is the a, next podcast. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll do that on the next podcast. All we need is a cell phone to get to the moon. <laughs> but it's actually been really crazy in terms of the expansion of the power of phones. Like yeah. when I first got a smartphone, you know, having a half a gig of RAM was a pretty big deal. Right. And now they have as much as a computer, like eight gigabytes yeah. is pretty normal for the high-end smartphones now. And uh, Right. But yeah, I mean, the benefits of having a cell phone are pretty immense. And I think it's good to acknowledge that, of course, since a lot of people are quick to see the pitfalls of it too. But having the availability and the tools in your pocket can be a real blessing. Mm. Like um, having Bibles available to you, multiple translations, multiple apps that you can use. Right. I mean, I can have an audio Bible running now while I'm driving my car. Like right. that is an amazing blessing to have. Yes. And likewise, I can have commentaries. I, I personally I like using the pillar commentary series at times. Right. I could have the entire set in my olive tree app on my phone yeah. and use it, load it up in a few seconds. There it is. Sometimes it makes it kind of awkward and funny too. Like I have Greek language tools and I remember uh, sitting in at a different <clears throat> church in BC at one point, hearing a devotional, and the guy was going on about this Greek word for sheep in the text and how it had the significance. I remember looking it up and being like, oh, he's got the wrong word here. Like, that's not the actual, ooh, this is awkward. Right. <laughs> Previous generations, you know, they wouldn't be able to do that. Like, right. That's, so that's incredible that we are able to have so many resources at the fingertips and, uh, right. and podcasts too, like being able to connect with people in our church with this church's podcast or other ones, yes. actually even being able to connect with a wider universal church. Like, I love that. Right. Because I think as Christians, we should acknowledge, like, it's good to be part of the local church, but it's also good to, like, know what's going on with the universal church around us. That's what are right. wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ doing in Ontario right now? Right. Or Alberta and BC and all the other areas of the right. nation that we're in and countries and world and everything. So, unprecedented access, unprecedented communication tool. 
You know, when you're talking about having a phone, this is one of my pet peeves, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. When my kids ask me what I've got in my hand, I always hate that I say it's a phone because I feel like I'm misleading them. A phone is just simply an application that this particular mini computer in my pocket <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. runs. It's just one of many. And and I think there's some wisdom to actually understanding, like, what, what are we actually walking around with here? And it's not a phone. It has phone technology in it. <laughs> but that ain't a phone anymore. Like, if this thing actually has the processing power that can actually get someone to the moon, this is a mini computer. This is what this is. So what would you say to that? Like, should we call these things different things? Like, what can we come up with a different name? That's a great question, yeah. Because I don't want to call it a phone anymore because it's not a phone. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's yeah, not it's a phone. Definitely. It is essentially <clears throat> a computer. I mean, people have put Windows operating system on it and hacked like their phones to put the entire Windows 11 on it. Like, right. That's no problem. It has the capabilities if you have enough time to waste to figure that out. There you go. Yeah, you're right. I mean, probably the majority of cell phone use nowadays is not even calling people anymore. I mean, it's messaging, browsing apps, right. Twitter, Facebook, all the rest of those things. And uh, Right. Yeah. Nobody talks to anybody anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I'm yeah, teasing. well, it's definitely changed, yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll circle back around to that question, but we need a new name for this thing because I think a smartphone is a misnomer. Hmm. And I think as Christians, it's important on how we use language because definitions do inform us, right? And one of those big definitions today is what a man is and what a woman is. <laughs> That's another podcast. But the reality is, is that we should name things as they are. Mm. And I don't think a smartphone is a good name for the devices that we carry around. That's all I'm saying. So I'll leave that with you to figure out. Yeah. And perhaps our listeners can come up with a catchy name that puts this concept more clearly as what we're actually walking around with. So we've got some benefits, unprecedented communication, unprecedented access to information, navigation. Anything else we're missing? What else is a smartphone good for? It's continuing to advance all the time with different types of apps. One of the newer things, it's the ability to transcribe speech into text uh, on the fly live. So I've noticed that's one of the newer things that my phone's (laughs) able to do where you can literally be recording somebody in a video in front of you, and it will be transcribing it on the screen as you're doing that. So, Unbelievable. So yeah, there's all, all these new advancements coming out. And sometimes there are some helpful apps that are coming out too, like digital health apps or whatever they call them to try to like monitor how long you're using your phone for and encouraging you to maybe put it away more because cell phone addiction is a huge issue right now. And uh, Interesting. So hold that thought because we're going to come circling around back to it. I think it's, it's fascinating that we have these tools in our pockets that are you are you a Star Trek fan? Yeah, I generally like it. I'm okay, so remember the tricorder? <laughs> yes. Like these things, maybe we should call them tricorders. These things literally do what tricorders used yeah, to do. Yeah, probably more. Right? But we still don't have warp technology, which is a little <laughs> yeah. discouraging to me. But anyway, nobody's nobody's teleporting either. Anyway, so we've got these incredible pieces of technology that we're walking around with. So for the saint, everything requires discernment and caution. So what are some of the concerns? You just mentioned one, smartphone addiction. I can't remember what study it was, but some group of individuals came out and said, no, no, like these things are actually just designed to be addictive. Like smartphone addiction is huge, but it's not like this 
occasional issue that some people deal with. Like the whole device itself, the apps, everything is geared to encourage user uh, activity, like, you know, right, yeah. like user interface. Like it's, it's not just user friendly. It's more than user friendly. It's I want you to play with me kind of device. Talk to me about that. Smartphones and the apps in there are really, yeah, as you say, designed to be addictive. And uh, even a lot of the apps with like the notification bells, rings, vibrations, a lot of those they've done studies um, will actually affect the dopamine level of a human. So when they're using it and they get like a, a like or a notification or whatever, retweet, they seem like that gives you a dopamine rush in, in the brain. And it basically is an addictive property that right. is happening to you as you're using it. Psychological, and, um, chemical. And so you've got something in your pocket that is vying for your attention. Yeah. And, and in 2016, I was reading, there was a study, they looked at um, the average person who was using these things would check their phone every 4.3 minutes. And that was in 2016. So like, it might be even worse now. Like, I remember working with somebody like that. And I often, and I didn't even have a smartphone at the time, but that was back in 2012. Oh, wow. And they were always checking their phone. And I'm like, dude, like you're shackled, man. <laughs> yeah. And this, that'll do this, stuff to you. This like, can't be healthy. <laughs> yeah. If you're just constantly being distracted like that and you're constantly looking at your phone, then obviously you're definitely getting uh, addicted. Mm. And another thing too is they've uh, come up with this term they call um, phantom vibration syndrome, which I think is a really funny name. Oh, but uh, oh, Wow. It's this funny thing where um, people get so used to having these notifications and vibrations on their phone that they start feeling their phone vibrating when it's actually not, and mm -hmm. they go to check it <laughs> because they think they have another thing to uh, you know, check is, on their phone. And, this is incredible. Uh, yeah, so phantom, uh, phantom vibration, vibration syndrome. It's something to be aware of for sure because with the tools we use, we don't want to be ignorant about them. We want to be aware of some of the cautions behind them. And I guess one of the main cautions, first cautions about cell phone use is just knowing there's an addictive property to it. So gotcha. when we then engage our kids with technology as they get older and teenagers and all the rest, like we need to be aware of it so we're able to shepherd them well so we can put limits on it because they are not going to know about that stuff mm. necessarily. And, you know, they're going to be prone to getting into those addictions very fast. Whereas hopefully the adults might be able to resist the temptation for those. Now you, you, we're, we're moving into the, what do we do with our kids? But I think anybody needs to understand that if you're going to be using this device, there are properties that are going to uh, be addictive, period. And so you just need to be aware of that first when you're picking it up. So practically though, and maybe we're jumping too far ahead, but what like principles and practices can we put into place to ensure that, you know, we're not enslaved to our technology. Uh, we're not anchored or we don't have a digital chain around our neck when we're carrying this thing around in our pocket. Hmm. What would you recommend? Just to circle back. The first thing is just to know, know how you're using your phone, what your usage is okay. and know the apps that you have and know in your own heart, like what is enticing and making you want to go to that constantly. But then of course, yeah, in terms of principles, I think putting definitely boundaries on cell phone use is a great thing to do. Mm. And if you're finding yourself unable to get yourself away from it, then take action because you got to do something. And, uh, you know, I find one thing that's really helpful for me is I have the setting on my phone where it will uh, dim my phone and make everything black and white after about 
11 o'clock at night. Oh. And basically, it's pretty discouraging to use because, you know, this nobody wants boring. to look at black and white anything. <laughs> um, and it's just it's time for bed. It's time to go to sleep. Just a good reminder here. And uh, Right, right. And there's that. There's also just the ability on the, both the iPhone and Android now where it gives you usage reports about how much you're using your phone. And Gotcha. Sometimes I get messed up with that because it counts my navigation time. Or I'm new to Edmonton still, the area, so I'm always navigating everywhere I go. And it's like, you've been using it this much. Well, not really. <laughs> on my car driving. But. Be fair, be fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was Google Maps. But I think having the ability to just uh, have usage like sometimes you might use it for hours and not even realize it. And that's pretty embarrassing. But if you have this usage report telling you that, and they're called digital well-being apps and all these things, okay. um, take advantage of them if you need to. That's very good. Yeah. I mean, there's other things I'm sure that you could do. but So awareness is key. Second is there are even apps for, what did you call it? Digital health? Yeah. Digital health, digital well-being. They're digital built well-being. into the operating systems nowadays. Well, that's... Screen monitoring. Ah, mm. thank you, Tim. So this is very, very helpful. So awareness again, screen monitoring, digital health, these things can help. I like what you said about the the heart issue though, right? And, and, and I find it's interesting that a lot of people will just be on their phones. They don't even know why. Right. And just from a pastoral perspective, everyone's trying to, you know, escape pain and avoid conflict in some shape form right if, you, if you've got a tool a digital tool that will help you escape reality that's in your pocket all the time well i can see how tempting that can be i can just go somewhere else right now or i can go and look at something else or listen to something else or view something else and be in my own little world but th- there, there's a hard issue and i think you, you you've raised an excellent point hmm. Well, I think it gets down to like distractedness in some ways because, yeah, yeah, like you say, when people are dealing with a lot of issues in their life, they might not want to process through that stuff. And then they have this distraction they can go to. Yeah, And I think one of the things also we should be aware of is, yeah, like cell phones are very distracting Mm -hmm. and it's really good to set aside time where you don't use them. I'm talking about like if you're at the family dinner table. Put the cell phone away. Right. Like they, they've done studies. They've done. They've looked at it. If you have the cell phone nearby, you always have this tendency to glance towards it to check it, right. even if the screen's not on. Right. And uh, I think like making healthy boundaries is a great thing, especially as a family. Like if you're wanting to have a great dinner with your family, like having a cell phone at the table is probably not going to be super helpful. That's right. As if you're distracted thinking about like who's messaging me or whatever. That's but if right. you like put it in a different room or just put it in a different counter space or whatever, like that'll be huge for your ability to just focus. Another thing I think of too is as humans, like we are wired by God to process things and think and use our minds and brains. And even, you know, we're told in the scriptures to love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, mm-hmm. including our mind. And that requires thinking. And uh, if we're constantly distracted, like, you can't have a great relationship with God if it's five second tidbits of like micro thoughts that are being distracted every 4.3 right, minutes. Right. So I think like Jesus models it. He goes away for hours right. to pray by himself, no disciples, no right. technology of people trying to approach him with their various things they want right. to talk to him about. And as Christians too, I think we need the ability to have time where we can think pray, process right. the events of our life, the traumatic things we might have gone through in the last week. Sure. And we're constantly distracted every 4.3 minutes with a cell phone. Like you're not going to have many deep thoughts to work out. You're well probably going to end up staying up all night working yeah. through your troubles. And uh, Well said, well said. It reminds me of, well, it wasn't, it's not even an exhortation. It's a command, pray without ceasing. 
Mm. Thessalonians, right? So, yeah. So, if we're supposed to be constantly in a state of prayer, then that requires focus. Yeah. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, this thing comes along and starts robbing that focus. I remember somebody once said, we have a problem being bored in our society. Oh, right yes. Now, right? Right. Like, we, like, boredom is almost like this, this horrific condition. <laughs> to be in, like, oh, I'm not constantly stimulated, right? But we've robbed ourselves of not just, you know, time to think and process or even to be aware of the moment that we're in right now, but we've actually robbed ourselves of the opportunities that come in the day where it's like, I can just commune with the Lord here for a minute yeah, and be bringing to Him uh, in prayer, whatever it may be, whether it be concerns or petitions or praises or whatever, but this... This command to constantly be in a state of prayer is, I, I think, completely undermined by a lot of our digital use because it becomes so distracting. It becomes so enslaving. Any thoughts on that? Do you agree? Disagree? I'm not suggesting that we should all be monkish in terms of our digital use, but I think going back to what you said before, we need to be aware of what these things are. And they're not phones. Mm-hmm. They are microcomputers that are incredibly powerful that give us amazing access to information, amazing communication ability and navigation and processing capacity. But at the end of the day, like they should be treated for the, what they are. It's almost as if like, if I would give a gun to my 10 year old kid and saying, this is a toy, I would be doing them a deep disservice. Hmm. I would be actually a horrific parent, right? <laughs> but we give, this incredible piece of technology to kids less than 10 Hmm. that has insane levels of uh, connectivity, insane levels of capacity to do either good or harm. And we call it a phone. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Doug Wilson actually talks about this uh, in one of his books on raising sons as he's, he talks about the value of just letting your kids be bored, Mm -hmm. you know, because parents are always like, I got to every day, I got to have an activity for them because they'll be bored. And every day I have to give them their screen time because they'll be bored. And he says, that's, that's where most creativity happens, but the kids don't know how to be bored anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they've lost that value in, in culture and society to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not been good. No, it hasn't. hasn't. Yeah. Something like that really hit me a few years ago, actually. I was part of a a book club at a a church I was involved with in BC. And uh, a few of us were like, hey, we should read some Jonathan Edwards. This will be great. We uh, should get ourselves back to some of our roots of our Mm. forefathers before us in the 1700s. And we decided to read Jonathan Edwards' book, The Freedom of the Will. We started to go through that. And we're just like, whoa, after chapter one, I don't think I understood half of what I just read. Right. <laughs> and as we were reading through this, it became really difficult. Like we had to start managing every sentence that we're reading because the thoughts were so deep. And it's not the language was so old. Like the language was easy enough to understand. Right. But the thinking was at such another level. Correct. That it was actually a wake up call. Like, am I being so distracted by technology, phones, and right. short thinking now that I'm no longer able to engage with deep thinkers from the past anymore. And that's kind of scary. It was yes. like a wake-up call. Like, I need to really try to be a person who can have thoughts that are longer term, more than a few seconds, and engaging with bigger ideas. And I honestly think if we brought in people from like the 1700s, 1800s into our day, like they would be astonished at how dumb <laughs> a lot of us are in our culture. 
not trying to criticize others, myself included, but um, like our capacities are lowered when we're so distracted constantly and yes. not being bored enough because boredom can be so valuable. Yeah. For yes. being able to just process what's been going on in our life. Correct. Correct. Well said. So using caution and discernment, obviously you said a lot of things here. Number one, there's, there's the addictive to capacity. Our attention is in danger of being constantly diverted. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, as an enhancement of communication, not a replacement for communication. So you you mentioned this too, you know, at the dinner table and having this, you know, cell phone at the dinner table or even on a date. One of the things, you know, my wife and I go out for for dates sometimes and, you know, we'll look across the restaurant or wherever we're at and we'll see a couple and they'll just be sitting there, both of them on their phones. And it's really kind of sad because I'm like, man, like, could you imagine let's let's put something else in their hands but like a couple out on a date and both of them are reading a different book you know what i mean like you're not really there together you're in proximity it just seems so weird and unhelpful and i mean i thought a date is supposed to be about communication about intimacy about enjoying one another's company not just sitting beside each other with a nice book <clears throat> that's where it starts to yeah, replace communication. That's a problem, yeah. yeah. And uh, another thing I've noticed, sometimes when you go to restaurants, family restaurants where there's kids around, uh, it's almost like every table, the kids are all on a device, a tablet, on a phone, and the adults are talking with each other. Sometimes they're not either. Yeah. But it's it's really sad in a sense that we're training our kids to not care about family times together at meals or dinners, not to pay attention to adults, just be in your own world constantly with your own That's amusements. Right. right. Like Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, right. to Death which had some interesting points in it. Yes. Um, but yeah, like it's not healthy to be raising kids to never be bored and to not engage in adult conversations mm-hmm. with their own parents and to constantly have this tendency and need to have a device. And, and I've seen parents literally using cell phones to to discipline their kids in the sense of like if yeah. their kid's having a meltdown in the mall yeah it's like okay well here's your phone yeah. load up your video yeah. i'm not gonna actually train you up or discipline you or teach you yeah but here is a distraction and yeah. what's that gonna do it's training the kid now yeah if i want a device i just have to have a meltdown bingo bingo you're <laughs> absolutely right so you got a digital pacifier that's a good way to put it yeah and then and then you've got a digital pacifier for the kid, but then it becomes a digital pacifier for the adult. (laughs) I mean, the adult never takes the sucky out of their mouth. You know, this is, this is the reality. It's like, well, hold on a second, but we've trained this, we've trained this for 20 years. And, and so, and I think this is the problem where it's like, we've got this tool. It's a good tool, Mm -hmm. but the wisdom is not there, but it should be different for the saint. Right. The saint should be exercising every tool that God has given to us with discernment and wisdom. So considering that now, we, like let's talk about solutions to this this problem of it being a replacement for communication, it, it obviously having addictive capacities and dividing our attention. So we've already talked about several solutions very practically for our people. One of them is just simply tracking the usage. Uh, the other one was the uh, digital health applications. But any other principles that you can think of that we can be employing as we use this technology that is immensely powerful that we carry around in our pockets all the time. Another principle would really be, sounds very broad in general, but trying to glorify God with what 
the phone is for or whatever you call uh-huh. it. Right? Like, don't just install things on your phone because everyone else is doing it, but right. like, think through it carefully. And like, there are apps and resources and things on the cell phones that I think are just not helpful for Christians to use and to, you know, get off of them. Like, there you go. I personally don't see any value in TikTok, just as an example. <laughs> being distracted by these videos oh, that are four yeah. seconds long, like that's so destructive, right? Yeah. And I don't personally see any value. I'm not trying to make a new legalistic uh-huh. rule saying you're not allowed to use that app, but sure. I just, I think there are things that are valueless and yes. to just uninstall things that are not helpful to your spiritual health. Amen. You don't have to have a hundred apps on your phone. I mean, uh, use it as a tool that will benefit you, not something that will distract you. I mean, if I just go to my home screen here, like we think careful about our apps, like I have um, Pocket Cast so I can listen to podcasts mm-hmm. on here. I have an Ovia pregnancy app to track our pregnancy <laughs> progress right now and which week we're on. Um, I like it. I have my outlook for emails and weather because apparently now I really have to keep track of the weather. Not I'm in Edmonton. <laughs> Because it's uh, an emergency (laughs) that it's cold. Okay, anyway, go Um, on. But yeah, I think just having discernment even on what you allow on your phone. Because by default, you actually get usually, you know, 20 to 50 apps on your phone as soon as you get it Mm -hmm. without even wanting to install them. (laughs) Clean that thing up. And then um, you get to have that control over what is going to be on there. I like that. So ultimately discerning to see if it's fruitful or beneficial. Right. To add to that as well, and I think that's that's an excellent point, you know, everything that we do as Christians is supposed to be out of love for God, love for others. Mm. I mean, these are our marching orders. It's a command, right? And that command, those commands for love for God and love for others, uh, we have a commission uh, with that, which is share the gospel. So I was talking with somebody the other day and they're like, you know, it's really easy. Everything that we do, everything that we use, including our phones, we should be filtering through those, that lens. Yes. So how is the use of my cell phone actually reflecting my love for God, my love for others, and the advancement of his glory and his kingdom, his gospel in the world? And all of a sudden, if you filter your cell phone use through that grid, I think it's going to get a lot smaller, right? Right. Because is it really me loving Lord watching 10 hours of YouTube on some fruitless uh, topic that (laughs) will not serve anyone or anything except my own curiosity? And is it really loving my neighbor if I'm using my phone in a way that they're no longer the focus of my attention? And and this thing is is now more important than them. Like, you know, I'm just giving some examples. And I think for different people too, to just know spiritually where they're at so that they can cut things off as they need to. Because in the gospels, Jesus talks about whatever temptation to sin comes, it's better, you know, you take your eye out or cut your hand off to give in a temptation, which obviously like it's a metaphor in the sense that if you take one eye out, you still have one left. But it is saying like the things that you cut out should be so extreme that right. you'll look really weird to people around you. Like yeah. think of a guy with one eye walking around. People notice yeah. that. Or a guy with no cell phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I do think there are some people who may just need to not have cell phones if they're really causing a stumbling block. You know, if somebody's really right. into pornography as an example, uh-huh. and it's become this private oasis where they can feed the sin. Right. Like there's benefits to just not even having it then. That's, that's, that's fair right. enough. Like I... Remember once I was helping out at a uh, kind of a lay Bible school and they had these assignments, um, you know, for different things about the Pentateuch or whatever, and just giving summaries of the books. And I remember like, not, I wasn't marking the papers, but I remember kind of processing some of them and they were all digital, you know, typed up Microsoft Word, Microsoft Word, and then suddenly handwritten, no, oh, this is like a two page 
assignment written in pencil and the the guy who did it is really messy writing and it's terrible and then he had a little note on the front and said i'm sorry i didn't type up the thing uh i've been dealing with issues of you know lust and pornography so for my own benefit i'm not using a computer right now so here is my paper written in you know pencil i was like that's awesome like the guy figured out a boundary yeah and he so zealous for wanting to cut off that sin yeah. he will not even use a computer at that that's point. fantastic and, and i'm not saying everyone needs to stop using computers or cell phones but know right. that if you're having an ongoing sin issue obviously you know talk with your pastor talk with an accountability person there's apps of course to use of those things but yes. there comes a time where cutting things off start there if you need to like <laughs> that's right make progress that's right Okay, great. So discernment we've mentioned, tools we've mentioned, commands and commissions we've mentioned in terms of dealing with this piece of technology well. And then obviously uh, the, the, the porn issue. I mean, again, yes, we have a, a mini computer that can access the brothel in you know, three clicks. Yeah. And so it may need to be cut off. And there are obviously other apps. Covenant Eyes is a big one yeah, that, right. that has great uh, online monitoring not for every device. And now there's pressure. I think iTunes recently, <clears throat> I think, uh, banned some of those apps, even from their app store. Oh. Like there's a spiritual war going on with that stuff. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. There's, Covenant uh, Eyes. Covenant Eyes and I think Accountable to You. Uh, there were two of them that were starting to be targeted now by the oh. app stores. Unbelievable. Why would they ban that? Yeah. I think they like things that are bad. Ay, ay, ay. That's another podcast for another day. All right. So I think we've we've covered some good things here in terms of obviously the benefits and the reality of the power of these devices and how to use them discerningly through commands and commission and, and these other applications that help us use them in a wise way. Let's talk about kids and cell phones. Yeah as a extension of this, because I'm at a point right now where, you know, my daughter's old enough and my wife and I were speaking about this just yesterday. And I was like, well, you know, do we get a landline? No. (laughs) Uh, You know, we we need to get a pay-as-you-go phone or something like that. Let's talk about boundaries with children and phones. What age, what kind of training? Let's talk about age first. Is there a magic age that kids should have a phone? Yes or no? No magic age, but I think you need to spiritually discern where your kids are at as they get older. Um, right. Now, my kids, my oldest is eight. So for me, it's pretty hard, easy line. Like none of them get their own cell phones. There you go. Period. Done. Like, yeah. As you get older, though, of course, there will be some kind of age where you have to deal with that. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously we have cell phones. So <laughs> the assumption would be that they're eventually going to have one, too. Uh, I don't know yet. I haven't parented a child above the age of eight. (laughs) So maybe you have better thoughts on that than me. But I do know, generally speaking, in our culture, we're giving them cell phones too fast, too early, and without um, shepherding. Like, as parents, we need to shepherd our kids. And that means there can be times where I allow Joanna, for example, my eight-year-old daughter, to use technology. Yes, I'll put her on the laptop so she can do her reading eggs program. But we're monitoring it. Correct. We're not letting her do anything else. There's no free access to anything. Yeah. And then when she's done with the task, we put it away. There you go. Likewise, on a cell phone, you know, I might give it to my daughter for a few minutes to watch a video that I want her to see. Mm-hmm. But then when it's done, we turn it off, mm-hmm. take it away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as parents, just to take ownership, especially of our younger kids, that they're not trained up. They're not mature yet. And some of them, we don't even know if they're saved yet, right? If they're right. very young. 
Um, so we should not be giving them unrestricted access to a device right. that can have huge, yeah. huge things. I mean, even on YouTube now, you load up a kid's video, you can have all sorts of, um, you know, pride videos coming up mm -hmm. or LGBT type stuff That's right. or euthanasia is possible now. I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of content that comes up. Be aware of what is in front of your kids and do not give them access without monitoring it. Right. And even as you get older, I mean, I've spoken to some of my friends who have more like kids who are teenagers and they let them have phones. They install software on the phones to monitor exactly what's going on. And I remember at one point I was hanging out with a friend in BC at a park and he had an older teenage kid who was using a phone at home. And the kid was texting him, hey, can I like watch this video? Because he had like gone over his screen allowance. So it automatically blocked his phone so he couldn't use it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and even like when the kids are older, right, you can still like put parental controls on the devices you give them. But you could probably speak better to like the over age eight. I just know that we should never have a de facto like, oh, yeah, three-year-olds having cell phones walking around the house all the time is no problem. Like, no, that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, it does become very arbitrary. But I think what you're saying is excellent. Uh, I mean, number one, you, you've already said you've got to discern the spiritual health and even the personality of your child. Oh, yeah. Right. And yes, there is a difference between the sexes, too. I know mm. that's tremendously uh, unpopular today, but there's a reality there. And then, so you, you obviously have the training aspect. So I'll, I'll speak to a few things. I, there was a, I wish I had the data here, but anybody can Google it. Some psychologists recommend no usage of any digital device, like handheld digital device in children up to age 12. Hmm. Like those are child psychologists. They're like, don't do it. Oh. It will mess with your kid's development. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, when the secular psych psychologists in the secular world are like, warning, warning, maybe we should, you know, take a hint. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. But what I would say is, number one, the training aspect is huge. We we made a, a general rule in our house that uh, I think it was up until age eight, like they weren't using this at all. Like they would see mom and dad use it. Now, though, it's interesting, we've sort of backpedaled on that that rule a little bit because, again, it's a principle. It's somewhat arbitrary. So uh, my youngest son, who's just turning seven, he's he, he really likes uh, learning different languages. And so we've got a Duolingo app, right, that he uses under supervision. And But he's learning how to speak Chinese. So it's kind of funny. Like my kid's walking around the house talking Chinese. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not tongues. But anyway, so <laughs> he, he's doing this stuff and it's great and, he, and he's learning from it. But there is a training that's taking place there and there is a monitoring that's taking place. So this is not his phone. This is mom's phone and he right. gets to only use it at the table while we're there with him. So I would say definitely there's got to be training. Number two, there's got to be that discernment as well. And then I, I like to tell my kids this all the time. I would never tell them to bring the car into the garage because that would be cruel and dangerous, <laughs> yes. right? And, and, the, and the car is a piece of technology, but they, they're just not old enough to know how to use that thing yet. They don't have the spatial capacity to even use that thing. I mean, yeah, they can ride their bikes, but you ain't driving a car just yet. Then we've also, uh, we've tried to train in them that, you know, this device is a portal to the entire world. Like you got to understand the moment you get on this thing, if it's internet connected, you're literally, you've got a window into the whole world. 
And so if you're online, you're essentially walking around the public square of the digital world. So would mom and dad allow you to walk around downtown alone at age eight? Probably not. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, this would be bad. Um, We would obviously uh, do that with supervision. We will walk with you in this time. But just to give them like an understanding of, okay, well, why can't we have a phone at this particular age, mom and dad? Well, here's the reason why, because this is not a phone. This is a high-powered piece of technology, which like a vehicle, if you don't use well, you will be a danger to others and to yourself. And um, like walking downtown unsupervised would also be unwise and foolish. Right, yeah. Because you literally are in the public sphere. Uh, A person (laughs) who really uh, had similar thoughts to that was Steve Jobs of Apple. Oh, I didn't know. Like after he released the iPad, some reporters asked him, so like, what do your kids think of this iPad thing that you have? (laughs) Like, how are they using it? He responded, they haven't used it. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. Yeah. Uh, so for him, and that's like, Steve Jobs, yeah, the guy who's like helping invent the iPhone, iPad. When he had younger kids, it was like, no, they're not using it. See, that's wow. that that takes the cake. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think setting boundaries, uh, setting boundaries with our children's and our phones. One of the biggest issues is, as you said, discerning but training. So my wife and I have already had this conversation usage online, especially for laptops in the house, any other handheld digital device, it's all being monitored at this at this particular point. But then we actually need to sit down with our kids. And I think for our oldest, who's 11 going on 12 this year, hmm. coming this year, we want to give them skills and tools and abilities right. so that they can actually discern how to understand what's going on online. Like even getting, I mean, how many spam emails do I get in a day? It's ridiculous, yeah. right? And and for our kids, like you don't just set them loose with their own email account or any other account for that matter and expect that they're going to have the discernment to deal with this. Right. They have none. So this is crazy. So for that reason, uh, I think the training aspect is massive. Yeah, you could do like shared access to start with with your kids. If there they get go. an email, you can have access to it too. You can discern through things together as you get the inbox going and, and the rest of that. And walk with them. They they don't they shouldn't have to feel like everything is isolated them by themselves when they're learning to do these things. That's right. We can walk with them and do that with them, yeah. That's right. Amen. Now this leads us to one more thing I'd, I'd like to talk about. I mentioned it in the introduction, but our smartphone usage is ubiquitous. We we have increasing levels of censorship and surveillance taking place, yeah. even our government. As uh, somebody recently said, you know, if, if, if you want to have privacy, leave your cell phone at home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're being tracked, period. You're being tracked by marketers or you're being tracked by your government or you're being tracked by something else or someone else, I should say. And apparently our own government has said that they're going to continue to this, this form of tracking Canadian cell phone usage for what, like the next five years or something? Ridiculous. Yeah, the, the contract they have was actually, they want to be doing it for five years. So uh, five more years from what they've already done. You know, I remember in the middle of like he all the COVID craziness. when you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah. He knows when you're away. I remember I was in BC during uh, the Not height of the, 
whatever you call this COVID pandemic time in 2020, 2021. And, um, yeah. you know, people are saying, oh, it's just a conspiracy theory to say the government's watching your movements. That's <laughs> not really happening. Yeah, I and I was like, well, the National Post just released yeah. an article saying that. And Canadian government has acknowledged it. And they want to do it for five more years. And you can go to the contractor's website and they literally say they're working with the government of Canada. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, there was such an uproar over that. In May, so, okay. there was an update on the Canadians tracking of cell phones that happened. And so the numbers are, they were tracking 33 million cell phones mm. uh, through the pandemic, trying to see like where people are moving because they're trying to track like, are people not listening to our lockdown orders and all this stuff, right? And I was looking at the stats. They're, they're, in 2020, there were reported only 31 million cell phone users in Canada. So, I mean, I guess maybe some people have more than one cell phone and there's been some growth in a couple of years. But when they say they're only tracking 33 million, that's 100% of the cell phones in the country. <laughs> like, that's, it's only all of you. I know there's 38 million people in Canada, but not all of them have cell phones yet, <gasps> including some you know seniors or people who just choose not to or kids. Wow. But in May, I have you heard a quote, there was a report that revealed the agency that was doing this for Canada was able to view a detailed snapshot of people's behavior, including visits to the grocery store, gatherings with family and friends, mm. time spent at home, and trips to other towns and provinces. That's pretty comprehensive. And of course, they might say, oh, you know, it's just general tracking of general trends. But like to make a general trend, you still have to have specific data points. Right. And it's not a big stretch to like go into the nitty gritty details of that later on. Right. Because the data is still there. It's there. Interesting. So with that concern over privacy, what are what are your thoughts? I mean, like, I, I don't know if we're getting away from, you know, smartphone usage, tricorder usage, whatever we're going to call this <laughs> thing, you know, in our pockets. What, what do we do about that? Can we do anything about that? Do we just have to accept the fact that if I've got this piece of technology, I am digitally monitored, period, and I got to live with that? What can we do? Yeah, well, I have a few thoughts on that. I mean, first off, we can praise God that as Christians, we're called to live lives that are of good reputation to outsiders. Amen. Especially even elders. One of the qualifications is that you're thought well of outsiders. Right. So for in one aspect, we don't have to worry too much if people are watching us so intently. Yeah, come take a look. But at the same time, it's not necessarily beneficial or wise to be openly allowing yourself to be tracked, mm. especially with certain activities that you might be doing in your life. There might be things going on that you don't want the government or others to know about. Because the government, we have to be honest, is not always positive towards Christians. This is true. Especially with the lockdowns that have happened recently. If yeah. there are lockdowns again, right. and they're telling us not to meet because there's a common cold going around, right. I think we still have to go by our conviction to meet. Right. And in that case, there might be benefit to you know, actually doing something to not have our cell phones tracked. So, gotcha. I mean, you could do, of course, airplane mode as an option right. if you trust that. Maybe not all cell phones are actually doing it properly when you're on airplane mode. Right. But what airplane mode is supposed to do is turn off the signals on your phone so that you're not on a mobile network and you're not on Wi-Fi networks so you can't be tracked. Mm. That's supposed to work. Another thing some people use is what's called like a Faraday bag where you put your phone in this bag that's enclosed with certain metals and materials and that stops any ability for signals to go out or into your phone. Gotcha. And, um, you know, like if you're going to a church gathering, you don't want the government to know about it, you could slip it in that bag for a few hours. Gotcha. Maybe wait until you're way outside of the location before you figure it out. Right. It's not much use if they could see where you ended and came. Right. 
But I think there's wisdom at least in having the option for that. Mm -hmm. So like in general, like, yeah, we can live lives of good reputation and Amen. not be too worried all the time about people tracking us. Amen. But at the same time, having the wisdom to be able to stop the tracking and having some control over that Amen. for when the time comes. Yes. which hopefully isn't every day, but right. know, it could happen. Amen. I love that point. I mean, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we live our lives quorum deo, before the face of God, always. Right. I mean, whether you're alone with your cell phone or you're in public with your cell phone or to the grocery store with your cell phone, it doesn't matter. You're always living before the one oh, who, amen. to whom we will all give an account. Hmm. Uh, so there's no secrecy necessarily there. But I, I definitely hear your point where there's some wisdom and discernment. I, I just got off a, a call. I can't say who it's top secret. Mm -hmm. um, a guy who uh, works specifically with cell phones uh, within the government. And he was hmm. saying, look it. He goes, Faraday bags are good, but they got to be military grade. Hmm. The ones you buy on Amazon or whatever else, they're garbage. Because what ends up happening is is your phone is actually pre-programmed that if the signal's not getting out, it increases the signal. That's true, yeah. By yeah. tenfold. So they've actually measured this stuff. You go ahead and put it in the garbage Faraday bag, it'll just increase the the signal until it gets out. And I'm like, oh, you little. <laughs> I have heard that the radiation in cell phones is actually like more dangerous in low signal areas because of that. Yeah, because yeah, it, it, it's embedded in the, uh, in the program. So the other thing is in terms of uh, turning on uh, airplane mode, that could easily be. It can be circumvented, yeah. Circumvented. Uh, so... So I asked him in frustration. I'm like, okay, so like, what do we do? And he goes, just leave your cell phone at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate one. So, so, but one of the guys on the call said, well, I can take out my battery. He goes, uh, uh, uh. Some of the new ones actually have an embedded backups power source. Yeah, that's true. So when you take out your battery, it's still running. <laughs> and the majority of phones, you can't even get the battery out. I mean, I... that was a Nokia thing back in the day, right? I don't think I could do that anymore. <gasps> they have glue on the back of them, and it's a big process to... Uh... <laughs> the Nokia phone. Oh, and, and, and so the other solution was, well, let's go back to a dumb phone. That's an option, yeah. Well, his 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 statement, and again, I mean, I'm not an expert in this field, but you know, his statement was that there are no more dumb phones available on the market anymore. There's only two types: your 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 Android, your Apple, and then the third type, which nobody has ten thousand dollars lying around, is the Linux phone, I think, or something like that. Yeah, there is like a new Ubuntu phone that I've never actually met anyone who uses it, but yeah, it's apparently around, yeah. Like you can actually turn the thing off. Yeah. Like it, you can literally turn this thing off. Anyway. But be aware of the software that your phone's running, right? There you so go. the more closed your cell phone is, the more it can be tracked without you knowing it. So mm. for that, I would say Apple's iPhone is probably the most concerning because you don't know what's going on with it, right? Mm. The code is all in Apple's headquarters and they don't release it. Uh, I mean, Google's not perfect either. I think Google does a lot of harmful stuff. But at least the benefit of the Android system is it's open source. So they actually release uh, the source code for Android. So you can really dig down and see what's going on there. Uh, now, obviously, their apps are not open source. So gotcha. if you're using the Google apps, you're not going to be that safe. But if you're just using the operating system, you can have some comfort in knowing that, generally speaking, the source code's released. Uh, not completely, I mean, but right, some right, of it. Right. Well, that's helpful for those who have those skills. I would have no idea what to do with that. So I just leave my cell phone at home. One last thing I want to talk about, it doesn't necessarily completely relate to what we're talking about because we're talking about this piece of technology, i.e. the smartphone. One of the things we use our smartphones for is obviously communication, media, social media, all this stuff. 
we talked about this a little bit before, but discerning media and a, a authorial bias in the news and on the web. I mean, this might need a whole other. Yeah, probably. But let's just speak to that just for a minute. Just briefly, sure. We're I think the like overriding that. principle for me when I think of media is the fact that there is no such thing as neutrality. That's the first thing to think about, okay? Because go. even um, as Jesus talks about, you know, like you're either for Jesus or against him. There is no middle ground, period. So when it comes to media then, everyone has a perspective, That's right. a worldview, and a bias. And no matter how unbiased they say they're being, they are still biased. That's Reuters, right. you know, for example, always makes itself out to be this unbiased news network. Oh. But they're extremely biased in right. what they choose to cover. Right. And just choosing to cover a topic already shows your bias Correct. versus not covering something at all. Yes. And I think as Christians, one of the things we need to make sure we do is we don't have this naivete as if there could be news media that are unbiased. Right. There are none. None of them exist like that. Right. And that's just something that's okay to acknowledge. Like that doesn't make a news station necessarily bad that it has a bias. Correct. But it is bad if they're pretending to be unbiased. Correct. When they are biased. Yes. And they've yes. done studies with 90% of journalists coming out of journalism school are generally leaning very left right. or um, not having any conservative tendencies whatsoever. And these are the journalists that you know are going to be hired by every newspaper. So even if the newspaper owners are conservative... That doesn't mean what they're going to be writing will be. Correct. Um, we just need to be aware of that. Yeah. I remember once getting into a conversation with somebody online. Um, uh, she ended up actually working for the Trudeau government later on. And, uh, uh, oh, we sorry, were talking about know. media biases. <laughs> and I remember like they were ba basically going against Fox News at this point. And they were like, oh, it's so biased, blah, blah, blah. Oh. And I said, you know, like CBC is really biased. Oh. And they were like, no, it's not. It's completely unbiased. <laughs> but I was just thinking like... <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Like, there's something disconnected here. If you think that, like, the CBC is not biased, it got over a billion dollars in funding from the government yeah, last year. Yeah, that doesn't I think they're going to have a bias biased. towards the government. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and his messaging. And I think we just, it's naive and sad, but when your perspective, when your perspective is the majority perspective, you think in the society, you have a tendency to no longer care about what other types of people think. And you just think your perspective is the only one and anyone else is biased and yes. you're just the unbiased one. That's right. And that's terrible. That's totally incorrect. Yeah. And we need to understand like there are huge bias issues going on and then especially in the CBC with all the scandals they've had recently. Yeah. Uh, I personally think it'd be better if the CBC were defunded completely yeah. and removed so that we could have a free market media. That's right. Not this government controlled That's media right. that we're having right now. I don't know if you saw, but um, recently they had the, the monk debates in Ontario. Oh, yes. And they were talking about the trust of media. Oh. You had Malcolm Gladwell on there with a couple other guys. Right. And they did a poll at the beginning of the debate saying, like, how do you trust the mainstream media, yes or no? And it was an almost 50-50 split. Oh. And they did a poll at the end of the debate. And the side that was uh, saying that you can't trust the mainstream media, they won. And it actually shifted about 30 points wow. <laughs> in their favor. And they said it was the biggest upset in the Monk debates history wow. of any of the debates they've ever done. And they were just going over what happened with the trucker convoy and right. the coverage that happened there yep. and other things. But once you see the data, once you see the examples, yep. like it's so obvious yeah. That, yeah, we can't necessarily trust the mainstream media. We can That's still right. read it with discernment, sure. try to glorify God by seeing what is true and what is not in these articles. Yeah. And then, of course, just reading widely, getting perspectives that you know are both left and right-leaning and trying to see 
what is of truth value in these articles. That's right. But knowing the bias and not being naive to it. Yes, yes. Well, and that's the thing. You, you, you hit it right on the head when you talked about the idea of the myth of neutrality, right? Like this, this, I don't know why it's so pervasive. I think it's pervasive, especially in the older generations. Yeah. It has nothing to do with level of intellect or education. It's just that there was actually a day. Yes. For many, many years where you could actually trust certain media sources because there was an integrity within journalism. Right. And it's not to ever say that journalism was ever, you know, pristine or pure or sinless. That's not what I'm saying. But there was an integrity there. And people just have hung on to that echo, that memory. And But it ain't there no more. Uh, everyone has a bias and everyone is unashamedly, well, and sometimes deceptively holding it. So I think that's that's wise. Well, my brother, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate your time and uh, your perspective and your expertise. I, I, I do think this is going to help our people navigate their use of technology going forward, especially when it comes to these powerful devices that we keep in our pockets. Anything else you want to say before we close up? I mean, continue to use prayer, discernment, and seek to glorify God in our technology. Don't let technology become the main thing, but let it be a tool to enhance what God has called us to do in each aspect of our lives. Amen. Well said. Well, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at questions at fellowshipedmonton.com, or if you have any suggestions for future podcast topics, we would love to hear them. And until next time, this is The Average Saint signing off.